0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode four of that podcast, a weekly program based out of Atonement Lutheran Church in Fargo, North Dakota, where we discuss a whole host of topics related to Christianity. My name is Ryan Janke, and I'm joined by Pastor DJ Lura and the woman I'm convinced never sleeps, Sarah DeYoung. Sarah, DJ, how are you? Great,
1: after that intro. Wow.
0: Why don't I ever sleep? Well, you can't. There's no way. All the stuff you got going on? I
2: don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> I After uh, last week's little soundbite, though, I I definitely am taking off in the TikTok world. So.
0: Well, you you cut me deep. You cut me deep, Sarah. DJ, did you see that? But she posted uh, her little... Uh, um, I saw it on Facebook, but you put um, it on TikTok, too? Yeah. Oh, boy. She was making fun of me. Bad, DJ. Did you see what she did to me on Facebook with the voiceover
1: thing? I think. Did we lose you again? It's still there. Can you hear us. DJ. Yep. DJ. Yes, I can hear you now. You keep uh, turning into bits. Uh oh. Do you have a bad? Do you have a bad connection? I'm. I'm at the church. Huh? Yeah, That's I weird. don't know. That's Maybe weird. Maybe
2: somebody's on the phone. It's like dial-up internet. Oh.
1: <laughs> I okay. So, uh, well. I've come get rather used to Zoom, like, um, uh, it, 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 you have a chance it'll stay, and you have a chance that it won't stay, and you just kind of wait it out. It's weird. During our
0: uh, staff meeting yesterday, I had to keep moving all over the house all over the house because all of a sudden I wasn't getting anything. So I had the kids uh, shut down everything on, that they
1: had on the internet for a little while. You know, what that reminds me of um, Sarah, you probably never had to experience this, but when I was growing up, there was only uh, four channels and to get the best reception, often you had to go and move the um, antenna on top of the TV. Mm-hmm. That's right. And if you were really um, tech savvy, you would take some some tin foil and wrap it around the top of those things to make the the receivers bigger. I guess. <laughs> yep. Uh, that's what this feels like to me. It's like, okay, am I in the right spot to make to get the right signal?
2: I never yep. heard that as a kid, but have you guys seen? I have like the new age antenna where it just gets you like the local channel that you put up to your window, the flat one. Mm-hmm. I have no skill. Like I will put it, and I, I feel like somebody with a uh, a metal detector. I'm like, Is, how about this? How about this? Uh-huh. And my dad has like, he's the whisperer of it. Because when I lived in my apartment, he'd be like, "Yep, right there." We'd scan it. It'd be like 40 <laughs> channels. It'd be like all the same channel, just a little bit later in the day. But yeah, I, I he's, I do
1: he's earned those skills, I'm sure, <laughs> over over uh, years. The of, uh, yeah, the rabbit ears.
0: Uh, that's funny. Well, for those of you listening, if you haven't figured it out, we're doing a, a Zoom meeting to be be uh, socially distanced from one another. And, and we had some technical difficulties, but um, last week we were talking about, um, we talked a little bit about Easter. We talked a lot a bit about worship, um, but after we got done, we thought, boy, we could cover a lot of Easter things yet. And uh, one question that I have for you, DJ, is uh, where did the Easter Bunny come from? Because uh, depending who you listen to, uh, Christianity may have stole it from pagan uh, religions, and uh, others will say that pagan religions tried to take it from Christianity. What's your take on
1: that? Well, you're, you're touching on something that's kind of been an ongoing trend for probably at least the last 30 years, if not more, of kind of revising um, Western history and where our traditions come from. And, and the big three holidays in the United States um, is Christmas, of course. Uh, Easter is the big one for Christians going back to the time of Jesus. Mm-hmm. um and also halloween and halloween and, yeah and a lot of people may not know this but all three have christian roots halloween? halloween halloween yep and we can talk about halloween uh next october 31st so <laughs> uh, since we're in the easter season let's focus on that one but um there's been this kind of i don't i don't know how to explain it almost like a revising of history or, or trying to flesh out um, the non-Christian roots of Western culture, and so you have things like, um, if you do a Google search for Easter, the history of Easter, the first couple of pages will be saying things like, um, Easter is was was uh, appropriated by Christians from from pagans, and um, what I find interesting about that is that. Even if you go go to places that you think would be a reliable source, like like you know, I used to think that the History Channel gave you reliable information mm-hmm. um, until I started studying Scripture and seeing that a lot of what they put on there is sensationalistic to get you to tune in. Um, uh, you know what we would call clickbait today. Mm-hmm. And so you take something that's common knowledge and you put a twist on it that seems to undercut everything that you've been told. Um, and that's that's definitely the case with the three big holidays of uh, Christmas, Halloween, and Easter. Um, Easter is an interesting one because of its long history uh, going back to the beginning of Christianity. And... The, the word itself. I mean, Easter is a strange word. We don't read anything in the Bible that says, you know, um, the Easter season had begun and Jesus ne- never said at the resurrection from now on, we'll call the day of my resurrection, uh, Easter. So where did the word Easter come from? Um, Easter is synonymous with Passover. And aside from English uh, speaking countries, uh, originally, like like Britain, the Anglo-Saxon area, and Germany, pretty much every other language that came out of Latin refers to Easter in some type of form of Passover, calling it uh, Pasha or or the Paschal Feast or something like that. It's only an English language um, descendants that we use the term Easter. Well, where does that come from? Um, Before I explain that, I want to explain something a little differently, because this is where I think a bit of the confusion comes in about the paganization being um, taken over by Christians. Um, What is the day of the week today? Today is Wednesday. Do you know where we got that name? No. It's it's Anglo Saxon, which means it's it's pre-English, it's Nordic, and it means Odin's Day. Odin's right.
0: Day is uh
1: Wednesday? Yeah, Woten W O T E N. Oh yeah, Woden. Okay. It's it's the same name. It's just how it gets spelled in, in Anglo Saxon. Is Wednesday. Do you know what tomorrow is? Thursday. Thor's Day. Okay. So when English developed, and especially in the Middle Ages from from 500 AD through 1500 AD, as Christendom expanded across Europe, it met with the Germanic peoples who had a different set of beliefs. I mean, they, they were pagans, and often this is what it gets pointed to. But the idea that Easter was taken from the pagans is the same as saying that If we call Thursday, Thursday as Christians, that we stole that from somebody. Mm. Or if we call Wednesday, Wednesday, we stole it from the pagans. And that's just not the case. It has to do with the development of the language. So the the saying goes is that there was a spring festival among pagans that worshiped the goddess of fertility, uh, Iostre, and that Christians when they were trying to convert the pagans just adopted the term for Easter and uh, basically put Easter where the the spring celebration would have been, the spring celebration of fertility and, you know, all that good stuff. The problem with that is that there is no direct evidence of that aside from one quote by a guy named um, uh, St. Beatty the Venerable. And it was more not a this is why it's called Easter, but rather trying to understand, um, uh, St. Beatty was trying to understand, and as a conjecture said, maybe that's why we call it Easter. Um, most scholars agree that the reason it's called Easter has to do with the date when, when Passover happens, which is after March 20th and, and often into April. The old name for April, April among, among the Anglo-Saxons is Easter Monath. And so that is the reason why Easter is called Easter for English-speaking people, because the resurrection of our Lord takes place in the month of Easter. Does hmm. that make sense? Yep. Easter has, is really synonymous, the way the language has developed, with, with um, the Passover. The Christ, so it's like a Christian Passover. Jesus is the the um, uh, pure Lamb of God who is sacrificed to pay a ransom for the sins of the world. That type of that type of thing. So Easter is not pagan. Easter is Christian, and it's like a revisionist history to go back and say, "Well, this must be the reason why it's called Easter because the Christians came in and they took it." But in in mo in almost all these cases, Christianity was doing something first, and um, and has been um, assimilated or taken over by a pagan worldview, rather than the other way around, where it's a pagan worldview that's taken over by Christians. Now, as um, Christendom spread across um, Europe, it did seek to. Bring in and and Christianize traditions that were not contrary to the faith and to give people something to to celebrate and to learn, especially in a in a in an illiterate society. What is it that we you know what is it that you Christians believe and so in the spreading of Christianity across europe um, it didn't say all of the old uh celebrations of local villages and so on were bad but looked at them in a different world view. What's, what's interesting to me is how this plays out in the Easter traditions that we carry out, that they don't have pagan roots, they actually have Christian roots. And we are paganizing uh, our, our traditions in the 21st century, rather than um, reclaiming them for something that had them first. Does that make sense? Yeah. So,
0: what about the Easter Bunny, Easter eggs, that kind of thing? Is is that something that, I mean, where did where did that all? How does that all tie in?
1: Well, in the United States, you can blame it all on the Amish. Um, (laughs) uh, That's a little tongue in cheek. Uh, Not not uh, German settlers from the 1700s on brought many of their faith traditions that came directly out of Christianity, and that have Christian Meaning behind them, um, and they've become secularized in the United States in the twenty first century. Uh, Easter eggs is a great one. Why eggs on Easter? What in the world do eggs have to do with Easter? Eggs laid by a bunny. No eggs less. laid. <laughs> so we'll start with the with the Easter eggs. Um, you know, part of the celebration of of Easter is is to to pour out in in joy and praise of the blessings that God gives us and all of creation belongs to God. Everything is good. Uh, but you can look at where eggs being tied to Easter became kind of a normative and celebratory thing. You got to go all the way back to the Council of Nicaea in 325 AD. Okay, so we're going back about 1800 years. This is This is really when Christianity went from being a persecuted faith to the official religion throughout Rome. It's where Christianity became Christendom. And um, there's this season in the Christian calendar, uh, liturgical calendar that comes just prior to Easter that we call Lent. Mm -hmm. Now in Lent, um, traditionally going back to 300 AD, it was normative for new Christians to be catechized in those forty days and to practice some of the disciplines of faith, which includes fasting. Well, when you're fasting um, prior to Easter, on Easter the Christian, uh, the 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 new Christian would get baptized, and there would be a, a great feast after a time of fasting, fasting from. Um, meat from eggs from dairy and you can imagine that in pre-refrigeration times it's hard to hold those items like milk and and butchered meat through that 40-day period and what else is happening during that 40-day period is chickens keep having eggs right Mm -hmm. but eggs can last longer even if not refrigerated and so it became the practice of breaking the fast at Easter time with eggs. Okay. And what came along with that is the symbolism tied into eggs. Eggs is the perfect symbol to teach a non-literate people the things of God. You give them symbols or, or word pictures or, or I think today we'd, we'd call them like children's messages with an item to show them, right?
0: Yeah.
1: Um, an egg is a perfect symbol for the hope of life. Okay. Because, because what does an egg become? It becomes a living thing. Yeah, right. Right? Now, um, the Greeks, uh, uh, the Greek Orthodox, uh, I think, started the, the the practice of painting the eggs And making a game with kids, and they would paint them red. And the red color was the symbol of Christ's blood being shed to bring new life and eternal life. Thus, we have the origin of painting Easter eggs. Okay. As well as hiding Easter eggs to be found um, on the day after Easter. And this practice goes back 1800 years. Wow. Wow.
2: So does that mean that eating pancakes on Shrove Tuesday is also religiously based and a good practice to follow?
1: I think it is. I think it, it's got it's got a a not as old of a tradition, but still a very you know it's, that's the whole Fat Tuesday stuff and all that you know load up on the carbs before you before you begin the the discipline of of Lent and preparation for the resurrection with the fast of some kind. Hmm. Now the Easter Bunny is even more interesting, um, and and people will say, you know, well that's that was the symbol of the pagan goddess Oestra, uh, which I have not found any documentation that um, really points to that. Again, much of like for example the 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 legends that we have about like the Norse deities like Thor and Odin and so on. Mm-hmm. The earliest extant versions of those that we have are written well after Christianity has become normative in, um, in Scandinavia. And so many of those, those legends, kind of like the legends of Hercules and, and Zeus and, and so on, at least with the Anglo-Saxon deities, they seem to have been written in response to the emergence of Christianity rather than prior to the emergence of Christianity, mm. So they're, they're written in almost a way that pushes back against, against the, um, um, the faith of Christians after the fact. So, so it's like they're in response to Christianity rather than prior to. Okay. And I see a lot of that going on with the idea of paganizing these things, like, like the, the bunny being a symbol of, of Estra, which interestingly enough, if people are still tracking what I'm saying here, um the easter the bunny a rabbit has been um historically known as a mascot for fertility Mm -hmm. i mean you know what's that old old joke if you have one bunny wait a little bit there'll be 10 more before you Mm -hmm. know it or you know however that goes right um well the greeks had thought and this is pre-christian thinking but it's the it's the the culture, the zeitgeist, to use a term you and I were talking about earlier, the, the spirit of the culture, had thought that um, hares or rabbits um, came about spontaneously without having to go through the u- usual, you know, boy meets girl. Yeah, yeah it's <laughs> the usual process. That, 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 um, so hares were a symbol of virginity. Now, if you think about that and you think about the culture in which Christianity emerged and you think about what happens on Easter and the the story of the Holy Family in the Bible, is there anyone in the Bible who did something miraculously that brought about Easter and the resurrection who was a virgin? It would have been Mary. It would have been Mary. If you look at the middle age art that was being um, created, you'll find between 500 and 1500 AD, all kinds of portraits of Mary. And what is she holding in her lap? A rabbit. Is she? she? Yeah. Because the rabbit, um, a white rabbit, the color white would symbolize purity. And so very early on in Christianity, the Easter bunny became associated as the official mascot of Easter. And it has nothing to do with pagan belief systems. The idea that the the rabbit comes from uh, pagan uh, uh, beliefs comes much later in an inquiry by uh, a speculative comment made by one of the brothers, Grimm, you know, Grimm's fairy tales. Mm-hmm. One I'm of the Sarah two brothers. Not. What's that? Sarah might not, but I do.
2: That
1: is Ryan. All the best Disney movies are from Grimm's fairy tales, right? Um, and so uh, this idea that the Easter bunny was somehow non-Christian and a pagan belief system comes from a speculation by one of the brothers, Grimm who had no documentation to prove it one way or another. The older tradition goes back to the Middle Ages, beginning at 500 AD through 1500 AD, with a connection with Mary, the mother of our Lord. Hmm. And so that's the reason. Wow. The Easter bunny becomes um, that uh, uh, mascot of Easter who brings the good things to the children. Including the resurrection of Jesus, and then there 's this outpouring of celebration and so on. Uh, this is tied into the um, the the special place that Mary was given in the church
0: so what about the other uh, Easter traditions like uh, my kids? weren't interested in doing it this year, but we, we color the Easter eggs, and you touched on that with painting the eggs red. Yeah. Is, is there anything to the, the colors, the pastels, and that kind of thing?
1: Yeah, um, it, it really has to do, okay, so if you look at the liturgical tradition of the church, there are different colors that are given to emphasize different seasons. Like the color for Lent is, I believe, purple, And the Holy Week leading up to Easter, which is really an ongoing festival from from Passion Sunday um, all the way up through Easter and then 50 days following, because Easter continues as a season of celebration um, leading up to Pentecost. And each one of those seasons has a different color. The color of Pentecost, which is the season of the church, is green. Um, The color of Easter is white. The color of Christmas is white, and you might think, "Well, why those colors?" Well, it, it, a little bit of it is just kind of common sense. I mean, when we think of the color white, traditionally, that's been associated with purity, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the color, the color black, with Good Friday, is 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 um, a symbol for darkness, uh, for death, those kinds of things. Mm-hmm. Um, the color purple has to do with, with royalty and suffering. Um, the color blue also has this connection that's during the season of Epiphany, which has to do with anticipation of what's oh. to come with the birth of Jesus in Advent. Um, and so, or in the Advent season. And so each one of the colors gives the person who's experiencing it a sense of, of what it's trying to convey prior to understanding it through like an, like an intellectual capacity. That's, that's what symbols do. They, they, they give meaning before you really can understand what the meaning is. And the pastel colors really have to do with, like I said, the earliest color was red. um, But it really has to do with the celebration of the dawn of, of new life, which comes about in springtime, regardless of whether you're a Christian or not, that's kind of the normal, sense at least in in the western world that of a new dawn beginning in the spring mm-hmm. and that that's where those pastel colors come in
0: hmm. cool did you have a question sarah
2: well so i was wondering at what point did somebody decide that uh we needed easter lilies and how did they become to be called easter lilies
1: yeah again another old symbol um Flowers are you know you're you're talking about people who didn't have the internet, who didn't have TV, who actually went out and enjoyed nature and experienced all kinds of the, the goodness of nature and and flowers are given uh meaning. I think does does North Dakota have a state flower? Yes. Oh it yes, but I can't
0: think of it right now.
1: I'll look and, it you up. Know, I remember the joke is, is is the state the state tree is a telephone pole. And <laughs> yeah the, the state bird is the mosquito, but I don't know what the state flower would be
0: yeah uh, it, well it, it has to have one It's the prairie
1: rose there it, and, it is and, and when you think yeah. of that that's a symbol and and what what do you think of when you think of a prairie rose? It's meant to convey what North Dakota is the character of North Dakota right well lilies uh, as well as other flowers throughout the year. Do the same thing, I mean, um if you look at a lily and the way that it blossoms, it looks like it has trumpets, and so there's the fanfare of the resurrection and new life that begins in Jesus Christ that comes with this blooming flower um, and that's that's really the the connection with the Easter lily here you have this this beautiful flower that is in bloom uh during the time of Easter that looks like a trumpet, uh, you know, proclaiming the things of God. And when you read the Bible, when a king shows up in the ancient world, when a king would show up, he would show up to the blasting of trumpets and horns. Hmm. And this is the case with the resurrection as well. Jesus has not been defeated by death, but he has overcome death for the sake of the world and has instituted his eternal kingdom. Um, That goes on forever. He has, he has fulfilled the, the law of the Old Testament and has been established as the one that was promised to King David of a descendant who would sit on his throne forever. And so that's all that Easter lilies convey, the the glory of the resurrection.
0: Hmm. Wow. So um, that's, it's interesting how you know i mean when when you say it it all makes sense but um yeah depending on where you get your information from it can definitely be skewed you,
1: you know it's it's the secularization of everything that had an original positive meaning and making it into something else um it's it's scandalous really it's and you know what we live in a world full of sinners we're all sinners and it's very easy for us to doubt the good news of God. Now the thing about traditions is none of these things are sacrosanct in and of themselves. They're again, traditions are, are given in order to point to and build up the faith. If they stop doing that, it's not as if you have to keep these traditions going, mm-hmm. but especially in a family, having traditions to teach children, the faith is, as important as teaching a child how to read by using an alphabet and pictures. Um, there's no difference. Um, you know, it's, it's one of those things when, when uh, you hear parents say, well, I, I, I don't want to influence my child's religion. I want them to decide on their own. Um, I I get where they're coming from, but I kind of think of, well, then, you know, why do you teach them how to speak?
0: <laughs> yeah. I I've always, um, I've always kind of chuckled at that because, uh, yeah, if if you don't, uh, why did, I'm I'm certain that uh, a lot of those people uh, trained them to use the toilet. You know, they didn't let them decide to on their own. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that it is interesting. Yeah.
1: I think knowing for Christians especially, knowing where our our traditions come from during the season of Easter gives. it it makes it more fun Mm -hmm. and gives it more meaning and makes it more of a celebration rather than just this is kind of a fun thing and it's a secular thing and well no let's look at it deeper and find out what what the meaning is behind this and is it just a secular thing or does it point to what the real message of easter is which is christ is risen right yeah
0: um well, I've I've got a question for you, but did you have any any other uh
1: little Easter eggs pun intended for us? <laughs> um <laughs> trying to think if there's anything that we missed. We talked about I, I don't think so. We've covered uh, uh, the Easter lilies, Easter, the name, uh Easter bunny, Easter eggs, the colors. Okay. I don't know why uh, um, there are manufactured ducks at Easter time. Uh, I'm not sure what the reasoning is for that, you know, and the, the little peeps and so on. Um, just cause people-
0: If there is a reason, it can't be a good one. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I'd agree with that.
0: <laughs> that was for our friend, Avis. She she wanted to hear that, I'm sure. Um, okay, well, so I've got a question cause at the end you you talked about the reason um or the 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 main message and that's the resurrection of Jesus um a while back i believe it was you who um asked a life or asked the life group question about um when you die do you go to heaven right away or do you stay buried until Jesus comes again yeah <laughs> sarah what do you think
2: i personally need an answer for this one (laughs) i told dj this before my life group and i this messed us up a little bit because i had never thought about the fact of you just might lay there until jesus comes back because i i'm born raised confirmed forever and ever lutheran where and you know i kind of had the sunday school vision of yep i die and then i get my nice little house on a cloud and everybody's happy and it's picture perfect fabulous world thanks jesus and then dj asked that one and i was like didn't think that was an option but now that it's like in the forefront of my mind
1: (laughs) you know what and and we are not new to be wondering about you know what happens after you die as a Christian, what, what is the, the eternal um, next piece? And part of the, the confusion, I think, is one, is that uh, we have to live by faith in this life. We don't know what comes next, really, unless you uh, have met people who have, who have died and come back, which does indeed happen. It wasn't just Jesus. I know someone who died and came back to life. Um, but the Bible also gives more than one explanation as to what happens afterward. Um, but you, you gotta, you gotta kind of take them as they're intended to be meant. For example, um, Paul speaks about those who have died are not dead. They are asleep. Mm-hmm. And they will rise on the last day. Now, um, what does that mean? Well, uh, there's the, there was a tradition in, in, in medieval times, and Luther even speaks about this, um, about something called soul sleep. Which is, you're not, you're not laying in the ground uh, with your body after you die. Uh, your soul uh, mm-hmm. isn't, isn't locked in in that location. Uh, but you 're in kind of this 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 ongoing slumber like sleep state your soul is where that's located is never really made clear whether it 's in the ground or some other place um, mm-hmm. but that's one way of thinking through so what happens well, um you remain in a state of of god 's grace, whether it 's what we 'd say like suspended animation today until the last day, at which point you would rise bodily, okay? Okay. That's one way to speak about it. I'm one to say that before you start speculating too much about the afterlife, focus first on where are you going? Not so much heaven or hell, but what is heaven? What does Jesus actually say? He says, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come and bring you to myself so that where I am, there you may be also. So regardless of what you experience in the moment after death, know that whatever it is, it's with Christ. Okay? Mm -hmm. That's the hold on to Jesus as as we start talking about this stuff in a bit more complex manner. Okay? Jesus also says on the cross, when the, the thief basically repents and says, you know, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Remember what he says? He says, today, today, uh-huh. you will be with me in paradise. So um, it, this might be kind of hard to explain over a podcast without people being able to see how I, how I talk with my hands. But I'm going to try to share with you another way of looking at what happens that is pure speculation. But at least for me, helps me to bring together some of the different ideas of what happens. How can you be with Christ the moment after you die, and yet you don't rise until the last day? You with me? Yep. Okay. Here we go. Let's say you're God, right? And let's say that this um, ball that I have is all of reality. As humans. In this life, we experience reality through our natural senses, taste, touch, smell, feel, sight, Mm -hmm. in only four dimensions. Only four. Those four dimensions are space, what we call space, which is I can move forward and I can move backward. I can move left and I can move right. And I can move up and I can move down. Mm -hmm. Right. Those are the three dimensions of space. And then we speak of a fourth dimension that we call time. And time is really the measure of entropy. Um, It's the measurement of how things decay, right? And we we give numerical meanings to events which we have observed, and we call that time. Now, if I'm God, and I created everything, I am outside of time and space, okay? So... I am beyond space and time mm-hmm. now our science our scientists, the really smart people um I think of like like Sheldon Cooper on the Big Bang theory, people <laughs> like that have been able to show mathematically that there are more than four dimensions in reality um I've heard as as many as like nineteen dimensions, and for the christian you know you can you can kind of understand that with things like the apostle Paul saying, I went to the seventh heaven or the idea of everything in this world, but also heaven and hell and so on, that there are Mm -hmm. possibilities beyond our understanding, um, within reality, the spiritual, not just the physical, um, that we cannot perceive with our eyes. Well, God is outside of all those things. For God to be God, he must be. Mm -hmm. and so, for God, God can be at the beginning and the end at the same time, at the same moment. He can also be in the midst of all these things, just like me taking a ball and, and holding a finger on both ends. I can be at the beginning and the end. Mm-hmm. And we hear, we hear the scripture proclaim that God is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. And Jesus repeats it. Jesus says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. Mm-hmm speaking to who Jesus is. So, is it possible, just to think about it this way, that the next thing you experience after you die is not time. So I'm going to use a different word. It's not the the next time. The next moment that you experience, you're going to be outside of space and time with Jesus. And it very well may be that the next moment you experience that you experience Jesus is the next moment for your mother who died 30 years earlier. She experiences Jesus and your grandmother and your great grandmother and your great, great grandmother, all of them that we all meet Jesus at the same moment outside of space and time when we die, because he takes us to himself. Now that also means that on the last day we will be raised physically within the bounds of time and space with Jesus okay in a resurrected body and so it's it's a way of moving outside of what we know to the place that we refer to as heaven where Jesus promises to be that's not limited by time okay does that make sense yep is your head hurting a little bit
0: well Uh, Of course, that just, well, I'll let Sarah go first, because she was the one who was struggling with this.
2: Well, so every time that, because we've talked about this a little bit beforehand, I've tried, because I'm a visual person, so every time that I start to think about the whole, like, the mix of the science of space and time and all that stuff, the first thing that comes to my mind
1: is Stranger Things. Sure.
2: With the upside down and all those different things
1: other dimensions they're they're yeah. touching on that too yeah so
2: it it makes sense and part of it is just the the human side of you just have to trust and you don't have to worry about it so well, and,
1: he, and here's the bottom line i mean people can get wrapped up over things like well that would mean that cremation shouldn't be done but i always go back to what did jesus say he said you will be with me in paradise. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we, ha- the old sinful self is left behind. The thing about heaven is that it's a thousand times better than we could ever imagine. Um, but it's not like we're spirits just floating around on clouds. Mm-hmm. Um, it's now we see through a mirror dimly. Then we will see face to face. Now we know only in part, then we will know fully, just as we will be fully known. Okay, so imagine life without sin. It's almost impossible to do um, because our, our entire human experience is clouded by the reality of sin, death, and the devil. We try to deny the devil and death um, and, and, and uh, excuse away sin. But everything that we experience is, is tainted by that. When you die, you leave the old sinner behind, and all that remains is the new saint in Christ. And you're given a, a physical body that is a thousand times better than we can experience or understand in this life. So I kind of use it as the idea that what is in heaven? What is in heaven is, is better explained by what isn't there. Um, when the Bible speaks about it, there's no more pain. There's no more suffering. There's no more sadness. There's no more, no more sickness. And yet, does that mean that I'm, I'm not going to be able to enjoy the things of this life that, that I enjoy? Like, uh, y- imagine an apple that tastes a thousand times better, or colors that are a thousand times brighter, or music that's a thousand times sweeter. Maybe an able- ice cream. Oh, yeah. Uh, um, to, to be able to know someone fully without sin separating you from them. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, you talk about like a very close intimate relationship, like a husband and wife, you know, uh, Luther would joke in his table talks about, you know, Adam and Eve, they were married for like 900 years. You think they never argued after they, uh, uh, you know, ate the, ate the fruit that fell into sin? They were arguing for the next 900 years with each other about you ate it first. No, you ate it first. Because even our best relationships are marred and scarred by sin by not feeling like we can be truly loved by another, all those things. None of that is in heaven. Mm -hmm. And so the experience of heaven needs to be understood not as a place within space and time, but located in a promise by the one person who always keeps his promises, Jesus Christ.
0: Yeah. Well, you covered, I had a question, but you covered it. And that was, that had to do with cremation. Mm -hmm. Uh, And, you know, that's sort of a, you know, a concern for people, you know, when they die. Do you want to be cremated? I, you know, worried about that, you know.
1: We we confess the resurrection of the body, but that doesn't mean the sinner. Mm -hmm. It means that... um, your eternal existence is going to be physical. It's not going to be simply spiritual or mm-hmm. metaphysical. Um, that, that comes a lot out of Western um, culture, Greek thought that there's three parts to a person, the physical, which is bad, the, the soul, and, which is good, and the mind, which is the, the ultimate version of the soul and the, and the body together. Um, And so there's three aspects. Hebrews didn't think that way. Um, The spirit or the soul is connected with breath, with breathing. Mm -hmm. And so there is no disjunction between the physical and the spiritual. And God calls it good. The problem is that we, all of humanity, entered into a rebellion against God, which we call sin. And so sin has entered into the world and corrupted God's good creation. And yet God is faithful to his creation by calling it good and seeking to redeem it through the Son. Um, so uh, the entire narrative leading up to Easter is about God redeeming his people and giving them a home that will last for eternity. And how we get there is not an issue of time and space, but an issue of faith in Jesus Christ.
0: Mm amen amen um i've got one more question here
1: oh then so to cap that off let me just say this so whether you you uh my little uh, effort at astrophysics theoretical physics helps to make sense of this <laughs> regardless of, of whether you're going to be raised on the last day or whether uh you're going to be in heaven the moment after you die um the bottom line is does your faith rest in Jesus Christ for your eternal destination and your eternal life? If the answer is yes, then you got nothing to worry about. You got nothing to worry about.
0: I should have, I should have asked Sarah, how are you feeling now? Better. (laughs) Good. (laughs) Okay. I've got one more question for today. Uh, And that is, what was the eternal fate of those who came before jesus like we know uh, moses and elijah went to heaven we know that because of the transfiguration they were there Uh, but they were both prophets what about the others especially those who lived during jesus time on earth and shortly before and after
1: um, so speaking of those who came before Jesus, the New Testament speaks to this. Paul speaks to this um, everyone who believed in the promise of the coming offspring, a promise that was given to Adam and Eve, and was passed on through a line through the entire Bible you you see this this promise of the of the what 's called the sons of God um, in in the Old Testament. Um, is this line through a a family that becomes a nation of the promise of the one who will um, crush the serpent's head and basically restore creation. This is the promise of of what Jesus calls himself the son of man because the promise was given to Adam and Eve first that Adam, whose name means man, would have a son, i.e. the son of man. Mm. who would crush the serpent's head, okay? This is the first promise of, of the Christ, of the blessed seed. And this promise continues through what we call covenants or binding promises that God places upon himself in revealing himself to the world. The entire narrative of the Bible is God revealing himself to his creation and revealing who he truly is. When God is hidden, he's terrifying. When God reveals himself, um, he, suddenly he becomes a God who can be, be worshipped, who can be experienced and shows his true heart, which is uh, the loving kindness that he has. So when God says um, to Adam and Eve, to Noah and his family, to all those generations, you know, those listing of generations that you can fall asleep reading <laughs> in the Old Testament because they're names that make no sense to us. Well, all those names have meaning. And it's a, it's a chronology of those who have received the promise of the offspring to come. And through faith in that promise, they are reckoned as righteous. And it comes to Abraham. And in the scriptures, this is the clearest word. It says, um, I will give you an offspring to Abraham and Sarah. And they're in their 90s. They're, they're well beyond the, the baby-making stage.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: yet God promises this, and it seems just completely insane and, and impossible. Uh, but for God, all things are possible. That promise is, I will give you an offspring. And the, and the thing about the word offspring is that it's singular, not plural. Um, so there's, there's two promises that God gives. One of this offspring who will bless all the nations and through whom all the nations will be blessed, but also a temporal promise of a land and a people. They're both given to Abraham. And Paul speaks about this in Romans and says, um, and, and it's mentioned in Hebrews as well, that Abraham was reckoned righteous by God because he believed God's promise. What was the promise? It was the promise of Jesus. It was the promise of the Christ. It was the promise of the Son of Man being fulfilled in this person, Jesus. All of the covenants in the Old Testament, the Davidic Covenant, the Mosaic Covenant, all find their fulfillment in Jesus Christ. And so whoever had faith in those promises are saved. Okay. Um, Because the only difference between us and the patriarchs and matriarchs of the Old Testament is they had faith in the coming Messiah. As Christians, we have faith in the revealed Messiah. It's the same Messiah. Okay. And it's the same promise that makes the faith that clings to him. Okay. So, again, if you move outside of time and space, the next moment you meet Jesus, maybe the next moment that Abraham meets Jesus. See how that works? Mm-hmm. Now, you don't have to hold it that. out. That's just one way that I, I help to make sense of something that's amazing. It's the promise that makes it so, and you can leave the mechanism of how that happens up to God. But it's faith in the promise of Jesus, hidden in the Old Testament and revealed in the New Testament, that saves.
0: Gotcha. Okay. Kind of like the way we, we know Jesus is coming again.
1: That... Exactly. Okay. I got gotcha. you. It's by faith. We know it by faith, not by sight. Right. When the time comes, when we've run the race, when we've fought the good fight, when we've kept the faith, then all things will be revealed. And we will know by sight. When the end of all things comes, all of creation will know by sight. What we know now by faith.
0: Okay. Got it. Sarah, did you have anything to, to go on with that?
2: Nope. I, I got my uh, heaven question answered, so I'm good <laughs> for a couple of weeks. <laughs>
0: Well, uh, speaking of questions, one of those questions came from Sarah. Another one came from uh, someone else uh, who submitted it to us. And anybody listening can submit questions to us at atonement.live slash podcast. There will be a link there where you can submit any question that you want, and we will talk about it and try to hash it out and make some sense out of it for you. So, um do we have anything else that we want to cover today?
1: I think we gave plenty today.
0: <laughs> okay. That A lot to chew good. on. <laughs> What's that?
1: A lot to chew on.
0: A lot to chew you, on.
1: You went sure. deep, deep, deep today, man.
0: Yeah. It was fun for sure. So uh, thank you again. And um, next week, I thought it would be fun to talk about Tiger King yes anybody down for tiger king <laughs> Are we, we watch party it or no i don't think we'll watch party it i'm not sure that that would be appropriate but we'll definitely discuss it
1: like a like a mystery science theater 3000 type thing where we the sound <laughs> and...
0: oh man so well the, the it's a uh it's a train wreck but the <laughs> the the show they have their own uh They have their own TV crew that follows them. And then they've got somebody making a documentary of their documentary. Is that right? Yes. And how it works. Yes. So, but next week we will discuss uh, watching those and how, um, where do we draw the line on our entertainment with what we should be watching and, and uh, what it's okay to watch and, and what we should sort of stay away from.
1: Mm-hmm. So there's
0: a little teaser for next week. So again, I'd like to thank uh, Pastor DJ and Sarah, and we will sign off and see you all next week.
1: Should we close with a prayer?
0: Yes, we should close with a prayer. Can I pray? Yes, absolutely. All right,
1: let's pray. Gracious God, thank you for our conversation today. And thank you for giving us the opportunity to be able to just dwell a bit on the the great mysteries of of your love and your purpose through your son, Jesus Christ. Um, may our faith rest on him in the midst of speculation, because the only comfort we're going to have when we speculate and ponder things we don't understand is the promise that is sure that Jesus died for us, that he is risen, and that in him all of our sins are forgiven, and he has prepared a place for us. Let us cling to him in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: Amen. Thank you, DJ. Thank you. Thanks, Sarah. And done.
1: Oh and <laughs>